Hello and welcome to another episode of Right Care Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And I'm Amanda Comer. I'm a nurse practitioner and serve as the system director for advanced practice providers. And today we're, we're very excited to have one of our own, Leslie Heckerman, on to talk to us about employee health and work-related injuries. Leslie, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about these topics. So tell the audience just a little bit about your background and what you do for Baptist. Yeah, sure. So actually, I'm a nurse by trade. I was an ER nurse for about nine years, loved it, uh, adrenaline junkie. And then after our, uh, my little guy was born, I decided to kind of seek and go into a little bit more of a leadership type role. And I've been doing employee health for about the past seven years, um, which is really, really fun. So uh, employee health is a great field. We do all sorts of leave of absences, work, workman's comp. Um, we handle all the new hire screens for all of our employees. Uh, we do all sorts of ADA accommodations if, if people have a disability and need to be accommodated in the workplace. Um, and we also take care of all of our COVID exposures and immunization. So that was a, um, a new feature that has been added in the last couple of years that, <laughs> that we had to operationalize, but, but happy to do all of that. Yeah, yeah. We've gotten to work with you quite a bit on, on that piece over the last couple of years. So um, certainly a, a new window for me into employee health. But what was the most uh, surprising thing for you coming from the traditional medicine um, route over to employee health? Yeah, I guess, you know, really you kind of lose sight that our our employees are sort of like a small little village here. And just as our patients have a lot of sicknesses and illnesses and, and diseases like that, so do our employees. And so it's always just a wake-up call every day when you see how very, very sick some of our employees actually are, um, you know, that they're, they're really in need of, of the, the, the services that we provide. So, um, you know, we're taking care of our employees so they can take care of our patients, which is, um, which is a really great way to think about it. That's great. So today we're going to focus on um, work-related injuries. So can you tell us what workers' compensation means? Um, workers' compensation is essentially a group of laws that protects people who become injured or disabled while working at their jobs. Um, so they typically, these laws, provide these injured workers with monetary awards and benefits um, which can include medical care and um, retraining, lost wages, um, and then eventually could lead to permanent compensation for a disability should they be rendered impaired. Um, they also provide benefits for dependents. So uh, if, for example, your um, mother would be killed on the job for, you know, some very tragic reason, which we've seen this throughout the U.S. now with some, you know, very violent situations in hospitals, uh, Workman's Comp does provide death benefits to, to your, your dependents. So um, that, that's essentially what, what it does. So I think a lot of us in healthcare are familiar with some of the common injuries uh, we would get. You know, needle sticks is, is something that's kind of front and foremost for a lot of us, but what other 
specifically injuries related to healthcare, do you see um, our workers get? Yeah, absolutely. So huge, huge amounts of slips, trips, and falls. So believe it or not, environment of care is so overlooked. You know, we are all so busy that oftentimes nurses are running and doctors are running and we're, we're not really paying attention to the floor or cords or things like that. And so, you know, there's so many times where like water would be delivered to a patient and water may be on the ground and we forget to wipe that up. And then lo and behold, here comes Nurse Judy and she, she slips and falls on that water and sustains a pretty significant injury. And, and a lot of those trips, trips and falls can be very costly, um, you know, lots of, you know, pretty, pretty hardcore injuries. The other thing that we see pretty common is, is back and shoulder. Um, you know, I like to believe that at a certain age, we all have a torn rotator cuff, right? I think it's, I think it's over the age of, you know, 50, we, we start to experience shoulder injuries. And so, you know, as nurses and, and PCAs, we're constantly pulling, pa you know, patients across, we're lifting, and, you know, if you have a pre-existing kind of shoulder thing and you tweak it just the right way, I mean, you may now have a full, a full pair. So uh, we see a ton of shoulders, a ton of shoulders. And, and, you know, when you say you see a ton, how many injuries uh, is it common for us to, to see here? Maybe just talk a little bit about how many employees we have and that might help give a little bit of the scale. Yeah, absolutely. So I would like to first just say that, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty awesome. I mean, Baptist is a very large health system with about 20,000-ish employees. And based on those numbers, we have a very, very low OSHA recordable number, um, probably lower than I've seen in any health system that of this size. Um, so we, last year, I think we ended with about 400 and some OSHA recordables for the whole year for the whole system. I mean, that's unheard of. And the mass majority of our injuries, as you guys are probably well aware, are related to needle sticks not even these significant slip trips and falls that, that we're referencing. So we're, we're pretty safe, which is, which is a great thing. I mean, we, we spent and made a significant investment in equipment and a safe patient handling program many years ago, and it's continued to be very beneficial to our employees. So you, you referred to these injuries as OSHA recordable. What, do, what does that mean? That's a great question. So um, OSHA recordable is essentially anything that um, would be considered um, more than basic first aid. So um, any work-related injury uh, that results in loss of consciousness, days away from the work, restricted work, or transfer to another job. And it essentially requires more than first aid. First aid is defined as you know, giving an over-the-counter like medication, like giving an ibuprofen, putting a Band-Aid on something, uh, applying an ice pack, anything over that that would you know require a prescription or seeing a provider would be beyond that basic first aid. So even something as simple as prescribing ibuprofen, if you prescribe ibuprofen as a medication, that is now considered OSHA recordable. So we always say, you know, to providers, a rule of thumb is, you know, if you're if you're giving a medication that can be taken over the counter, just advise them to go buy ibuprofen, you know, at Walgreens or CVS as opposed to prescribing it. And 
can you talk about OSHA? I mean, there may be people that are listening that don't know what OSHA is and, and why is it important uh, when we talk about OSHA reportables? Why, what's the significance of having to report the event? Yeah, absolutely. So OSHA is a, a governing body that essentially looks at safety in all sorts of organizations, right? And so their goal is to prevent people from exposures, from hazards on the job. Um, so we, every year, as a health system and many, many other organizations throughout the entire United States, have to report our injuries, our safety events to OSHA. Um, and so what we have to report is the date of the injury, um, what happened in the injury, um, what happened right before the injury that caused it, so like, you know, the precipitating event kind of a thing, and um, then, then send all of that information to OSHA, and based on that, they look at all of those injuries, and they can be very, they can scrutinize it. So, you know, if you are, let's say, a factory that has had you know, and I know FedEx in the past has run into stuff like this where they've had some deaths at their factories, or not factories, at their um, areas where they, you know, are doing all their box movement and stuff. They've, they've actually been in the news for having people passed away. Um, they, then OSHA can come on site and then they start looking at all of your safety events and they can pull things from, you know, five years back and keep looking at everything. And so, you know, it really, OSHA is there to protect the employees, which is really good. You need that oversight. Um, but it also can be, you know, a very costly thing if we're not doing and reporting the things that we need to. There is a difference between OSHA reportable and recordable. So we record on a log that is considered OSHA recordable. Reportable is somebody has died at our workplace, somebody is hospitalized as, as related to something that has happened, and that is an actual pick up the phone call and, and call OSHA and let them know that those events have happened. So does OSHA inspect um, periodically or do they inspect when there's a phone call? How does that work? Great question. So they can do both. Um, oftentimes they will do pop-in visits, which is what we're seeing right now, right? At the height of the pandemic, you know, COVID was spreading like wildfire, and I think OSHA kind of postponed a lot of those visits that they would have regularly done. Now um, things have kind of calmed down, and so they're starting to come into health systems and just you know, they'll scrutinize things not only like these exposures, but also your respiratory protection that you're giving. So um, just, yeah, I mean, they can do both of those and they can show up after an event. And I've, I've seen that at health systems where they, they have shown up. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. Um, OSHA, a lot of us who were not previously familiar with OSHA became familiar with them when um, they kind of got involved in, in regulating uh, the environment of care related to COVID. Um, talk a little bit about what that process was like, because I, you know, I've personally gotten questions from physicians asking why we're still doing X, Y, and Z, and some of it was because OSHA said we had to, um, and you know, some of it was CDC and CMS, so it gets a little confusion. But talk about OSHA's role and the pandemic and how that's played out. Absolutely, happy to. So. OSHA developed an ETS, which was an emergency temporary standard. And I think it was 
primarily because there was a lot of pressure um, from government bodies that there was not PPE available. I know personally at Baptist, uh, Nick Lewis and some others were heavily involved in getting PPE at the height of the pandemic. I remember it like yesterday. I mean, they actually had planes that they went and unloaded in the middle of the evening to get this PPE, which was life-saving to our employees. So, you know, we never went without here at Baptist. But lots and lots of organizations, lots of hospitals were, they didn't have the means to even be able to provide the PPE. It just wasn't available. And so I think because of all of those pressures and, you know, nurses and doctors were saying, hey, we don't, we don't even have an N95 available right now. You know, OSHA developed this emergency temporary standard of, hey, these are the things that you have to have in place. Some of it was a little, I think, quirky. You know, I mean, some of it, I think they went too far, <laughs> too far to the other way, you know, very, very strict and stringent things. But it did provide much needed uh, relief for our workers. You know, I mean, again, they were, they were here protecting the workers, making sure that the PPE was available, making sure that we were doing fit tests. And, and making sure that people who had COVID were getting, you know, a financial um, benefit to, to be off work. Because, you know, again, in the height of the pandemic, you know, people were sick. Our own employees were very sick with COVID. And, and you know, we weren't necessarily handing out money for them to be off work and things like that. So OSHA stepped up and, and they created that emergency temporary standard. Now, that has since expired. Uh, that expired in December. And so we've gone back to sort of our pre-COVID ways, if you will. Um, however, they are OSHA is getting ready to implement a, a standard that will be forever. So, you know, with this ETS, they kind of looked at it and they, they got scrutiny from all of the health systems and people that were under it. Um, you were able to respond to it and say, hey, this is what we liked about it. Here's what we didn't. And so now they're going to write a, a final rule, sort of like CMS, where it will be a standard that will be part of our OSHA regula regulations going forward. Yeah, no, I think that's very helpful knowing how their role and how they kind of, and how our workplace has to adapt to, you know, some of the things that they put out there. Um, let's talk a little bit more about needle sticks. That, that seems to be the most common uh, workplace injury, correct me if I'm wrong. And, you know, why do we see so many needle sticks in healthcare? Um, are we seeing more uh, during the pandemic or less? You know, how is it all, how is that trending right now? Yeah, so, so great question. I would, I love talking about needle sticks. So, uh, one of the best scenarios I can give you guys to help you kind of explain it is obviously during the pandemic, there was thousands and thousands of people that we needed to vaccinate, right, in a short period of time. And, you know, that's pretty nerve-wracking from a standpoint of a sharp injury when you consider we're going to be putting people through, um, through vaccination clinics. Um, what's very fascinating about this, and I've, you know, I've told this story many times, is that out of the thousands, I'm talking thousands of vaccine, vaccines that we gave, there was not one needle stick that happened. Right. And, and you might be thinking, well, why? What, like, how does that make sense? You know, I mean, there's exposure constantly. Well, I really believe it has to deal with muscle memory. Right. And so I, I experienced this myself. You know, when you sit, there, there's a very controlled environment when you go to a vaccine clinic. Right. First of all, the person that's coming to get the vaccine, they're aware that they're going to be getting a vaccine that's likely going to hurt. So you've already 
set that standard for them. But in addition to that, the person that's vaccinating, after a while you develop this pretty incredible muscle memory that you know you grab the arm and that you vaccinate and you do the same thing over and over again. It was interesting, one day when I came in, we had been using the same syringes for, for months. Well, you know, to supply chain issues, that syringe wasn't available. And I literally had to stop for a minute and be like, wait a minute, like this is totally different. It's got a different way to engage the safety. And I had to think. Before that, for months on end when I'm vaccinating, I didn't even have to think. It was just sit down, vaccinate, sit down, vaccinate, right? But, but once the device changed, I had to really kind of think about, okay, well, how do I do this? What's the new movement that I need to make? With nurses and physicians on the, on, in the hospital, there's such a variation, number one, in daily activities, right? One minute you're suturing, next minute you're passing a medication, then you're you know, helping somebody ambulate that you don't really necessarily get the ability to develop that muscle memory of this is how you do it. Now throw in there the possibility that your devices may be completely different because supply chain issues. So one day you're using this type of device, the next day it's a totally different one. If you don't stop and take that time out and think, okay, wait a minute, how do I use this device? You're gonna, you're gonna run into issues. And not only that, I mean, you've got a non-controlled environment, right, where you might have a patient who's three years old. I mean, what little kid at three years old wants an immunization? They don't. So if you're not skilled in explaining, all right, Nurse Leslie is going to give you this immunization, and it might, it's probably going to hurt a little bit. If you're not skilled at that and you just go towards that kid, what's the likelihood that they're going to sit still and there isn't going to be patient movement? I mean, you have to plan for all of that. So it's, it, it's difficult to prevent these types of things from happening because there's such a variation in our daily tasks that, you know, it's just you just never know. So that, those are great examples. So are there individuals that are at higher risk for these type of injuries? When you say this, you know, I think about new nurses or residents, and do you see that? For sure. I would say, um, you know, and from a who's the highest employees that have these, I would say our PCAs get them, but our nurses, because, you know, if you think about percentage of population, obviously our highest, highest employed type of role is RNs. So they're more likely, and they're using those devices pretty frequently. So our RNs get needle sticks quite a bit. We do see a fair amount among providers. Um, and our physicians, a lot of times it's more a puncture type situation where with a scalpel or a suture needle type thing as opposed to an actual needle stick or, you know, central line type issues where they might be starting a central line and get a stick related to that. Yeah. So, I mean, it is not, that is not uncommon. I mean, that's what you see with our providers. But again, the same thing is, is true among providers as is any other employee is, you know, that you're not using those devices every single day. And so there's all these things that you just don't even consider in that moment. And I think it really takes just kind of being super present in that and not being distracted. Well, come on. I mean, it's so easy to be distracted. I remember like in the ER drying up meds. 
um, your patient's crashing in 13, and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how much dose I need to give, like just a minute, you know. But that's that's commonplace. I mean, and this whole, you know, trying to multitask is not really a thing. I mean, we think it's a thing because we're super men and super women, right? Like we have all these superpowers, but but it's re- it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Yeah, so, you know, I think a lot of us have had the experience of, of having, you know, an encounter that, you know, it's pretty nerve-wracking. When I was in residency, I was putting in a central line on a patient with HIV, and the needle, you know, came through, and it, you know, I was, I was obviously being very careful, actually, but, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, as an internal medicine resident, you know, we don't do procedures like that that often. And so I was inexperienced, like you were saying, and it was late at night. Um, But it didn't even puncture my skin. But at the same time, after that, uh, you know, I asked what I should do. And, you know, we had a procedure for for what to do if you had a a needle stick, which hopefully you can tell us about what ours is in just a second. But it was, you know, one of the most nerve wracking periods of time in my life about whether or not I was going to, you know, get HIV from this uh, injury. So take us through a little bit about what our protocol is um, if there is a, a needle stick. Yeah, great, great question. And this is great information for all of our, our providers and employees. So, you know, the first and absolute thing that needs to happen is we need to have it reported immediately. I would say, Dr. Lancaster, one of the saddest stories I know is Back at my last health system, we had this amazing um, uh, thoracic surgeon, and he loved students. Well, you know, to be one of his students was uh, was kind of a really big deal, right? And um, this little student was the sweetest. He was so, you know, and they, they look so young nowadays to me because I, I think I'm just getting older, but, you know, just was so sweet, and he came to us three days after the fact that he had gotten a needle stick during one of the surgeries and he was embarrassed to report it and he thought it was going to be punitive and anyway the patient was hepatitis positive hep c positive and it was this whole to do and you know i really i I counseled him on you know why didn't you tell us beforehand like we would have started our protocols and things because the hospitals were very good at all of that and the good news is the great news is there are very, very few conversions that ever happen. Number one, I believe because the medications are so good nowadays, um, you know, our antiviral, our viral medications are amazing. So giving PEP works. And the sooner that we get that on board, the better it is. So, so first and foremost, for anybody that gets a needle stick, you've got to let somebody know. And you've got to let employee health know so that we can put our chain of events into place. But we'll go ahead and draw the patient, draw all of the um, labs on them, and we find out and make sure that they're clear. If for some reason the patient does have HIV we, or, you know, another uh, disease like that, we draw viral levels and we see what their viral load is. Really scary recently, we've had a couple of patients that have been HIV positive, unbeknownst to them, that mm-hmm. have had extremely high viral levels. Um, and that's, that, that's kind of scary, right? So we always um, then call one of our ID docs, Dr. Throckeld is ours, and we, you know, talk with him about the best, the best plan of care and, and get that PEP on board as soon as possible. Um, and again, we've, we've had, knock on wood, we've had great 
zero conversion. So um, again, I, I, we're blessed in that department for sure. So all medical staff members would reach out to employee health. That would be be the contact. Uh, you know, um, that is absolutely probably the best process because we can we can connect them to where they would need to go to get that those labs drawn on the patient and things like that. I mean, that is something we absolutely need to pull and do immediately. So, and we and time is of the essence because sometimes these patients get discharged, right? So and. And especially, so we want to make sure that we can get blood from them right away so we can provide that information to you because that'll help you sleep better at night, right? I mean, you get a needle stick, what's the thing you're thinking? Well, they have some kind of communicable disease that I'm going to take home to my family. So we, we want that information. Now, the one thing I can say is that we can treat the situation even without that blood draw from the patient. So we would just treat it as an unknown source. And those we take into consideration a lot of different things with that, but then we would go ahead and draw a baseline on the, the provider who would who would have gotten the needle stick, and we, and we go from there. I was just going to ask, so you draw the initial blood work from the provider, and then you do follow-up blood work later to make sure they don't convert? Is that correct? Yeah, so that would be for an unknown source. Now, if we are able to gather that the blood draw from the patient and we know that the patient is, you know, disease-free, then we're actually good to go and we don't really have to do any further investigation. But yes, if we don't know the source, um, then we continue to follow the provider for up to a full year. Oh, oh wow, a full year. And, and what is PEP? You mentioned PEP. Yeah, so... Um, Good question. It's a bunch of antivirals that we give. Um, so there's a couple of them that uh, I think Dr. Throckeld really loves Truvada. That's one that we, we use pretty regularly. But um, we, give, we give these over the course of several weeks. Uh, and they can be um, they can be hard to take. Uh, you know, compliance with them is iffy, I'll be honest, uh, you know, because they can make, you know, people feel kind of bad. And Oftentimes, um, some of our, our nurses who we've given them to have said, you know, hey, I'm really feeling awful. I'm going to just kind of stop taking them. So, uh, so that's the medication that we use to prevent HIV. Um, I will say that uh, we've had a, a lot of good use of it. But again, I think compliance kind of can be an issue. So we always have those conversations beforehand that, hey, this can make you feel kind of gross. We want to make sure we're following you. And Throkel does a great job of following our patients with those um, medications to make sure if they need labs and things like that drawn. Okay, yeah. and so my last question is, it would be, what strategies do we have in place to prevent needle sticks? Yeah, so tons. Um, but, you know, really it's a mixture of kind of innovation and strategic planning, right? So I think a lot of times we continuously look at things from a very reactive way. Um, you know, always, always trying to come up with innovative ways to go needleless. Um, you know, we're constantly relooking at our products, but education is a huge one. You know, I think that, again, if we have a new device that we are, we're sending out into the health system, we need to be educating on here's how it works and here's how to use it. I am a firm believer of you can't just show a picture of something and have somebody understand it. I need for you to take the device out, play with it, see how it engages, 
and then, you know, allow yourself that space to understand truly how it works. Because, you know, looking at a picture and saying, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z is totally different. We need to develop that muscle memory and that feel of, of how that device t totally works. So um, we've gotten better at some of that, you know, utilizing those devices, trying to kind of see how they work. But I think during the pandemic, it's been especially difficult to to maintain our specific products. So we use one manufacturer for our products, but, you know, a lot of times they're like, hey, we don't have it to send to you. And so, you know, we'd have to substitute with maybe an inferior product. And so that's frustrating because if you're used to using something and then it's not available, you've got to really kind of relearn it. Um, the other stuff that we do, Dr. Comer, is we really, really try to um, do root cause analysis. And so we have impl we implemented an electronic system called OSCAR. I know many of you are familiar with OSCAR, but uh, employee health before this time, and this is, I know, going to be mind-blowing, was completely paper. <laughs> and so OSCAR has allowed us to have an electronic means to monitor needle sticks and stuff. It's been excellent. Um, and it has a built-in root cause analysis that we're not very good at using, right? So what happens is, is I get the needle stick, I go in, I fill out my report. I sort of don't give a lot of detail because I'm busy doing other things, which I can fully appreciate as a provider and as a nurse. But we need as much information from that event as we can because we use that information to figure out how we can be preventing other needle sticks of the same type. Is it a device issue? Is it a user issue? Those types of things. And so sometimes we don't get great information in that system, but really the manager and director of that department should be following up on those needle sticks a little bit better among their 74,000 other tasks that they're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, again, I get it. I appreciate it. But if we follow up on those and get a lot of information, then we can really start getting ahead of the ball there and start being a little bit more proactive instead of reactive to these types of situations, breaking down the why behind everything. That's, that's really what's got to happen in order to get better at not getting needle sticks. No, this is great information. I certainly learned a, a lot today. Um, do you have any, you know, last uh, words that you want to leave with the medical staff on what they need to know about employee health? Uh, you know, no, I just, you know, we, we love the fact that we get to partner with our employees and help create a safer environment for everybody. Um, you know, I would say Baptist is an amazing organization to give my little shameless plug, plug to Baptist. Um, you know, truly uh, one of the best systems I've ever worked for. And, um, the great thing about us is that we are really, in, we are concerned with safety. We're not concerned about the dollar amount regarding safety because a lot of health systems are like, oh, that, that injury cost us a lot of money. We're concerned with our needle sticks, which are our cheapest injury, because we want people to be super safe, right? And so if you look at it from that standpoint, I mean, doctors, nurses, providers are really walking into a very safe health system every day. And I think that's incredible. I mean, there's that extra cushion of I'm here, people care about me, people want me to be safe. So all of the work that we do at the end of the day is to just make sure our employees can to go home to their families, to their pets, to their significant others at the end of the day. Um, that, that's really what our, our goal is. 
I think that's a good point and, and maybe worth mentioning, you know, you know, how say how important safety is to the organization. We have a tell them about the meeting we have every week with senior leaders of the organization to hear about safety events. Yeah, so that is that's a great meeting, and we have um, just a safety huddle that a safety group that we we talk about all these events to constantly, and um, you know it is of the utmost importance. And so you know it used to be, and this is where I think things have gotten um, incredible, you know, for our, our employees. It used to be that patient safety was of the most importance, right? Like we were so hyper focused on patient falls and patient injuries. We have now determined that employee safety is just as important as patient safety. And it makes sense, right? If we don't have safety, safe, healthy employees to take care of our most vulnerable patients, then we're going to be really, you know, in a bad spot. So we really, um, we focus heavily on it. We have the ear of our senior leaders um, to, to hear these safety events and to help us you know, give us the resources to make sure that we're handling them appropriately. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on and explaining this topic that is kind of new to a lot of us. Um, feel free to come back anytime. Thank you, everybody, yeah. for listening to Right Here at Baptist. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can redeem this episode for CME credit.